Hello, hello. Well, how are you, Jane? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I have exciting things that I want to talk about. I watched scary movies all weekend. Yeah. But Sunday, Sunday, Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday, one of the days on the weekend, <laughs> instead of it just being like horror movies, I watched three in a row of some of the most disturbing movies ever created. So I finally... What movies? I watched a Serbian film. Oh! Yeah. Oh. I watched the heavily edited version. Okay. And it was horrendous. What do you mean a heavily edited version? They cut out most of the disturbing scenes. Oh. Um, but it's still... I haven't stopped thinking about it. And it was and still I, disturbing? Incredibly. It's almost more disturbing when you're just left to like think about what was there. So for those of you who haven't seen it, don't. Um, when they say it's one of the most disturbing films ever made, they're right. Yeah, people genuinely recommend you don't watch it. And I, that's exactly why I watched it. Because I was like, it's not that bad. It is. It is that bad. It is indeed one of the worst things I've ever set my eyes on. But I thought it would be interesting to talk about on the podcast because it is one of those, like, human nature is fucked. The fact that it was filmed at all is astonishing. A thousand out of ten would not recommend. Let us know if you've seen any disturbing films. Maybe I'll add them to my list. Why not? I'm Kate. And I'm Jane, and this is Creeps and Coffee, a show where we talk about the dark parts of the world around us. Cryptids, conspiracies, things that go bump in the night. And the crimes behind the scariest creatures of all, humans. Join us as we take a look at the stories sure to give you the creeps. Pull up a seat, grab a coffee, and let's have a chat. So we thought we'd continue the theme of fucked up in this. Mm. And talk about some true crime. Because... In Canada. In Canada. Because, in all honesty, we say it in our intro. The most fucked up thing you can have, the real scary thing in the world, isn't ghosts, it isn't haunted things, it isn't cryptids or whatever it may be. It's people. Yeah. Because people are awful. (laughs) True. To put it plainly, people are horrendous. And we thought it was high time that we covered a true crime case that, honestly, I don't hear a lot about. I didn't hear about it until this year when my parents were like, oh, like, are you ever going to cover this? And I was like, what? <laughs> the who? Yeah, it's it's literally in Nova Scotia, where I currently reside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my province. <laughs> I think that adds a whole other layer of reality to it, I guess, Mm -hmm. when you know so much about the places. So for those of you that don't know or haven't listened to the show for a while, so I grew up in the Maritimes. Jamie grew up in the Maritimes. I no longer live there. When you spend half your life somewhere, you get to know it pretty well. And I think for communities like anywhere in the maritimes things are very 
communal is the only word I can think of. Things are very yeah. like tight knit. Mm-hmm. They're it's very rural. Even in the big cities, it's everybody knows everybody and everybody's there to support their neighbors. So when there's a a case of anything, it spreads all around town. Everybody figures it out. Everybody knows what's happening. Well, because you're like, oh, yeah, that's Johnny's cousin's brother. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The amount of times, even in Alberta, where I've had people be like, oh, you're from New Brunswick? Do you know this person? And I have to sulk and go like, yeah, actually, I do. I went to high school with them. Yeah. Or yeah, actually, their brother lived down the street from me. Like, it's, it's a walking stereotype in the Maritimes. So when it comes to a high profile and intense case, like something like this, it changes communities. And I think the case that we're going to talk about today happened in 1992, and it's still affecting the area. It still changes the way that people interact with each other. It's, it's completely shifted the, the functionality of the area. Yeah. And I think as sad as that is and as awful as it is, I think it's a really interesting sociological, psychological phenomenon to see how something like that can shift. Your master's degree is showing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, thank you. (laughs) So, we are going to talk about what is colloquially known as the McDonald's murders. Mm -hmm. But more specifically, I guess, more professionally, Mm -hmm. it's the case of a triple murder that happened in Sydney River, Nova Scotia, back in 1992. Yeah. So, as per usual... History. I got the background. Um, Like we do in every true crime case, I know this gets old, but we all know why I do it. Um, I would like to point out that we are going to talk about the background of the victims. I... Enjoy going over the background of the perpetrators for the sole purpose of getting a better picture of the circumstances. I don't like it to do it to bring attention to their names or their circumstances. There is no excuse, regardless of background and experience. There's no excuse for horrific acts like this. Mm. It doesn't explain. It doesn't account for. It doesn't make any of this feel better but it's important to go over all of the details when you can Mm -hmm. um, just to be able to get a better picture of it so that's why we're doing it not because i think that this fuckhead needs more recognition Mm -mm. and as always please remember when you're going over listening to studying any true crime case Please, please, please remember that the true and true crime is there for a reason. These are real people, real circumstances. Like I said, area of Cape Breton was completely changed from this event. It's considered one of the worst crimes to happen in the Maritimes. And their families and stuff of the victims, they're still alive. This wasn't There's... that long ago. No. And I guarantee we probably know some of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Derek Wood is unfortunately our main topic for right now. So mm-hmm. Derek Wood was born in Sydney, Nova Scotia in 1974. Uh, as a young child, his parents divorced and his mother moved to BC. Unfortunately, that means that Derek stayed behind in Nova Scotia with his father and he grew up in a poorer area of Cape Breton. He claims that he was often bullied because of this and he was considered a shy and awkward kid by his peers. Mm. And you know what? Kids can be cruel. I get it. Especially if you're in a low-income family. But that doesn't excuse any of the shit that he decided to pull. Mm. Anyway, long story short, because I don't want to dwell on his background too much, Derek didn't graduate high school and instead decided to join the Cape Breton Militia District. Sorry, red flag. I literally have it written in my notes. Join the Cape Breton Militia District in parentheses red flag. (laughs) And I can say that because I dated a military man. Not all are bad, but But some of them are. are. (laughs) Derek, specifically, was discharged after senior officers found him mentally unfit following threats of suicide. Oof. So they kind of decided to let it slide. They didn't didn't take it too seriously, didn't like consider him to be incredibly unstable. But obviously when it comes to handling military-grade weaponry and information that comes from working at any rank, you got to be of sound mind and body, ideally. Yeah. And threatening suicide doesn't really portray that that's where you're at. <laughs> After he was discharged, discharged, after he was discharged, Derek realized he needed to join the workforce, which is fair. He's 18. And he got a job at a McDonald's restaurant in Sydney River, which is a part of Cape Breton. Mm -hmm. At this point, he's 18 years old. He had a whole life ahead of him to make something of himself. But instead, he was focused on money and power. And this would be the focus that would drive him to commit one of the most horrific crimes that the Maritimes have ever seen. And I will say, having money and or power as your goal isn't in itself a bad thing. Uh-uh. But when you're committing, like, a bad crimes or being a terrible person to get those things, then, yeah, you are in the wrong. When you are blinded to morality yeah. in order to establish the money and the power... That's when there's a problem. Yeah. Everybody wants... Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be powerless. I want to be rich, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be like, you know what? I think we can go kill some people. No. I, no, I go, I, think, oh, I hope I get a raise. I'm doing my yeah. best at work. <laughs> I, th- I think I'll apply for a job, maybe. Yeah. That's a normal thought process. Clearly, Derek did not share that that mentality. So, thinking about this McDonald's in Sydney River... There was a conveyor belt at the back of the restaurant that was used to bring in deliveries. A lot of restaurants have them, especially when there's big deliveries coming in. Fast food gets a lot of stuff coming in. So the conveyor belt is a big help. Early on in Derek's employment, this conveyor belt broke, which meant that the employees had to move the stuff themselves, bring it in and have it dropped off, whatever the case may be. And while deliveries were being dropped off, the employees had to prop open the back door of the basement 
which was close to the manager's office, in order to get those deliveries in. Simple concept, right? Yeah. Hold open the door, bring the stuff in. A lot more manual labor, but that's that's working in fast food. Especially in 92. Yeah. It sucks. So Derek knew that in the manager's office, by this back door, there was a safe, which his puny little 18-year-old brain imagined there would be between eighty dollars and $200,000 in. Let's reiterate. Where is this? Sydney River, Nova Scotia. And it's a what restaurant? A McDonald's restaurant. The Golden Arches have made their way mm. into Cape Breton. And Derek is convinced that a single safe holds between eighty and $200,000. So mistake number two is that you assume that there's that much money in a local McDonald's. Most banks don't even have that much in their safe accessible. For this exact reason. Yeah. So let's be realistic and say, like when I worked in the food industry, we had maybe, maybe 15 grand in the safe at any given time. Yeah. I'd say where I work at most, at most, a thousand, maybe two thousand dollars. Yeah. And that's like if you search the entirety of the building. (laughs) Yeah. So this is just painting a picture For those that may not have ever thought about it before, there's never that much money in a safe. However, Derek didn't finish high school, correct? Correct. Okay, so we know his mindset is a little bit less than the average. And he is distracted by... Derek's created his own reality, where Derek is truly the main character. So, if he thinks there's money somewhere, there's gotta be. That's where it is. That's where the money lies. Right. And that that drive, that desire for the money, unfortunately would distract him from any sense of common sense, I guess. He felt that stealing the safe would be the key to living large, and that would be his key to happiness. Let's dissect that even more. I know it's 92. I know times are different financially, But still, realistically, let's say maximum $200,000 you're walking out with. That's not going to get you super far in life. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of money, and it is, don't get me wrong. It's far more money than I have. (laughs) But in the grand scheme of things, you're not robbing a McDonald's and getting off scot-free without having a job, without having anything to pay for the rest of your life. Yeah. Maybe two years max. It's a short-term solution. Exactly. If you're paying for rent, if you're paying for cars, if you're paying for food, like, it's not going to last you as long as you think it will. And unfortunately, the harsh reality of adulthood is coming to those conclusions, (laughs) which is just not at a point where Derek was mentally or emotionally. He was not at a place where he could cognitively process that thought. And you know what, I don't even, I'm not even going to say that he wasn't at a place where he could, because that sounds like I'm giving him a pass. He chose not to process things that way. Yeah. 
in this weird convoluted mindset that he had, he knew that he couldn't do it alone. He at least came to the conclusion that he could not realistically break into the safe and get away with it on his own. This is when his two accomplices joined the picture. So the first person we meet is 18-year-old Darren Muse, who met Derek in high school. They were kind of on the same level playing field. Both fresh out of school, fresh out of... Fresh out of the womb. <laughs> They're on the on the same level. The second accomplice is 23-year-old college dropout. Not a high school dropout this time, but college dropout. Freeman Daniel McNeil. Mm-hmm. So Freeman began hanging around the two boys, which is never a good sign, especially in small-town maritimes. When you see someone that probably dropped out of high school and dropped out of college, hanging around the high school boys. Yeah. You know where they peaked. You know where they get their control and their power. And you know how it's going to end up, quite likely. Oh, yeah. So Freeman is, what, four, five years older. Not doing anything with his life. Hanging out with his two 18-year-old friends at McDonald's all the time. Mm -hmm. Real, real star achievers here. The three of them had actually discussed robbing the McDonald's beforehand. Mm-hmm. But now, Derek worked there, right? Now they had an inside man. They felt on top of the world because they were like, oh, we've got this. We've got it figured out. They've got a plan. So this was their plan. They were incredible. Really, really thought it out. Let's hear So it. Freeman would be the getaway driver. He'd wait in the car, he'd leave the car running, he'd be the lookout, and they'd jump and they'd go. Mm-hmm. So that was his job. He wasn't to interact with anybody. Derek would prop open the basement door like the employees had been taught, and he would let Darren inside. Mm-hmm. Darren, who would be wearing a mask, because no one can tell who you are with a mask. No. Nobody in Sydney River would recognize anybody's body language or voice. Or clothes, or car. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. So Darren, wearing a mask, so Darren disguised as not Darren, would go upstairs and demand that an employee open the safe. They discussed a potential fourth accomplice, using them as added security to ensure that no one could escape and call the authorities. So kind of just like a, just a scare tactic to have this fourth guy to be like, no. Nobody move, nobody gets hurt, but also nobody calls the cops. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, their plan was to rob the store without injuring anyone, yada, yada, yada. They wanted to just take the money and everything was peaceful. Mm-hmm. But Freeman stole his girlfriend's dad's twenty two caliber pistol just in case. Yeah. Because... They were also, that, they had other weapons. Yeah, oh yeah. For, you know, not trying to hurt anybody. <laughs> they sure had too many weapons for that. One weapon is too many weapons. Yeah. So, they've, they've got it figured out. They figured it all out. They're geniuses. They're the best thing to ever happen to Sydney River. First attempt fucks up. So on April 30th, 1992, the three men, Freeman, Darren, and Derek, 
were ready to go. They were ready to put the plan into action. But the plans were foiled when the fourth man, who they never identified, mm. didn't show up. Mm. Guy got cold feet or decided, hey, maybe I'm better than this. Maybe it's not worth ruining my life to rob this fast food establishment. Yeah. Like, if you're going to go anywhere, I don't know. It's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's just a stupid decision. So this guy made the right call. Yeah. So the men discussed their plans moving forward. And instead of being like, well, maybe we need the extra security, whatever the case may be, they were like, nah, we probably got it. We're fine. So they decided to kind of shift things around, reevaluate. Then we get to May 7th, 1992. This is me talking. Okay. Derek shows up for work. He's like shitting himself. He's so excited. He's like, I got a foolproof plan. It's awesome. So Freeman dropped Derek off for work. Derek entered the McDonald's. He had the twenty-two caliber pistol that Freeman stole from his girlfriend's dad. Mm-hmm. And a handful of ammunition in... A leather fanny pack. Oh. Interesting move. Interesting choice. Okay. It seems to me that I only pick on the outfits and the fashion choices of maritime killers. Our very first episode, all I could talk about was jorts. I was going to say, was it the jorts? (laughs) Yeah. That just occurred to me. Anyway. That's a side note. So, change into his uniform, because McDonald's, you have to wear a uniform. Put his clothes and the fanny pack into his backpack. And then he used his backpack to prop the door of the basement open. Mm. So that they could do their in and out thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so after his shift, Derek said he was staying late. So what kills me about this is that he worked his shift. Mm-hmm. Like, he lit, he went into work like nothing was happening. Did the full eight hours. Did, did the full caboodle. Um, and he stayed late to help his co-worker Arlene do inventory. Mm. Now, realistically, the reason he did this was so that he could get her out of the building faster and there would be less people in the store when it was robbed. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Um, so let's talk about Arlene. Arlene was a 20-year-old. Arlene McNeil, no relation to Freeman McNeil, one of the perpetrators. What about Steve McNeil? Probably. (laughs) Everybody's related. Yeah. So Arlene McNeil, um, was 20 years old. She was a business student at what was then the University College of Cape Breton, which is now Cape Breton University. Mm. Much less of a mouthful. Um, She lived in the Point Oconee area of industrial Cape Breton. And she was just going about her day. She was good friends with her other co-worker, Donna, who was also working that night. And Derek didn't realize that Arlene always waited for Donna to get off work so that they could go together. Mm. That's kind of a 
kind of a girl thing even if it's you're not super move. close yeah even if you're not super close as co-workers i know when i worked at a bar like the girls and i used to wait for each other to be able to walk to our cars late at like, night you just yeah you stick together especially when they got off it was like a little bit after midnight yeah so it's dark it's kind of creepy you never know what could happen so donna donna warren was a 22 year old girl from north sydney she was the swing manager that night donna was a law student she was a dedicated worker she was doing good for herself to be a law student and also a manager Mm. like that's a lot all at once yeah donna also happened to be the only one working that night that knew the combination to the safe Mm -hmm. so she was not the target but she was sort of the point of interest for darren right because darren was supposed to come in with the mask get someone to unlock the safe and go from there so donna was that that person arlene and donna are finishing up their night shifts they're ready to go home the employee room is also in the basement so the manager's office and the employee Mm. room are all in the same areas they're leaving the basement and something has gone wrong there was miscommunication between the men there's lots of little he said he said essentially of what Mm. happened But all three of them ended up coming in. One of the men was wearing a Halloween mask. Another man the women didn't recognize. And the third man was someone that they knew very well. It was their co-worker, Derek. Mm -hmm. Now, Donna, totally fair, thought that Derek was playing a prank on her. Cool. He's been working this whole shift. They're fucking around. It's like almost one in the morning. So she walks out, and she's like, well, what's going on? Like, what the fuck? She tries to, like, laugh it off. She's like, not funny, not cool. Let's all go home. She doesn't want to admit that she's scared. She is also a little bit upset that Derek would bring in people who are not workers into the restaurant late at night. There's no clear answer on what went wrong. But the initial plan of not hurting anyone turned into Derek pulling the trigger Uh, and shooting Arlene. uh, Arlene hit the ground. mm -hmm. And then Darren pointed a knife that he pulled out at Donna and told her to stay put. They're all freaking out because they're like, why'd you shoot everybody? Like, why? There's a dead person now. Cool. Whatever. So all, all of them, the plan has gone out the window. Unfortunately, upstairs, a man named Neil Burroughs Jr. had shown up for work. He had no idea what was happening downstairs. Um, was it Neil so, or James? Neil. Okay. So Neil Burroughs Jr. was a 29-year-old maintenance worker. And he obviously worked at McDonald's restaurants in industrial cape breton he lived in glace bay he had a wife and a son and he was originally from the town of dominion Mm. so very small (laughs) yeah 
Dominion small, Glaze Bay small, Cape Breton small. Yeah. It's like fucking the Russian dolls, the nesting <laughs> dolls. Dominion's the tiny one. Yeah. So Neil was upstairs cleaning the kitchen, doing his thing. You can't hear anything. There's steel doors everywhere, right? Like it's an industrial kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's designed to keep the sounds of the kitchen in so that people in the restaurant can't hear it, all that stuff. So there's no way Neil could have heard what was happening downstairs. There's no way he would have known what was going on. There's no indication that he was in danger. Um, Derek came up behind him while he was scrubbing a sink and shot him in the head. Mm. No real reason, no explanation. He literally had no interaction with him. He didn't didn't die right away, unfortunately. He was disoriented because he just got shot in the head. Yeah. While he was trying to make sense of what was happening, Darren stabbed him in the neck. So this he had no idea what was happening. Yeah. While he's processing this, <laughs> he gets hit in the head with a shovel by one of the men. Mm-hmm. He hits the floor. Derek shoots him two more times. It's a little overkill. Yeah. For, quite honestly, no reason whatsoever. Yeah. He, there's no way he would have been able to hear what happened downstairs, so he wasn't a witness. He was just doing his job. Yeah. And all of a sudden, his life is gone, and the lives of his family are turned upside down forever. Yeah. Derek goes back down to the basement, where Donna is still waiting, because she's been forced by knife to wait there. Takes Donna to the manager's office, and demands that she opens the safe. Because remember, she's the only one that has the safe combination. Yeah. She opens it to be as compliant as she possibly can. Once she opens it, Derek shot her in the back of the head. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Like, you got what you wanted. You don't need to do that. So let's talk about what they wanted. The safe was now open. Derek's expecting between 80 and $200,000 to make off with, to split between three of them. Mm-hmm. How much money did he find, Jamie? Oh, you know, the, the measly amount of $2,017. $2,017. Not the year, that is how much money there was. Yeah, $2,017. And 27 cents. So, that's enough for rent. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. So, at this point, he's ruined the lives of three people for $2,017. Not that there's any amount of money that justifies it, but... No, but if I'm gonna rob a place... I'm aiming upwards of a million dollars. I'm going for a bank, probably. 
yeah. or an art museum. Go big. Like an art gallery. And I'm not shooting anybody in the head. No, go to do big it. or go home or go to jail. <laughs> exactly. So Derek takes this whopping $2,000, puts it in a bag, and shoots Donna one more time in the head. She's already dead, but he does it for fun, I guess? Ew. There's no explanation. At the same moment, Jamie mentioned Jimmy. This is where Jimmy comes in. Oh, no. Jimmy Fagan. (sighs) Poor guy. 27-year-old janitor from Sydney. Just trying to do his job. Just trying to... this. At the end of the day, that's all we're all trying to do. And these people especially are just trying to get by. Yeah. James Jimmy is a 27-year-old who's working at 1 a.m., starting his shift. He's... Like, what I think about with something like this is, like, this man got up. It's a late-night shift. He probably took a nap. Mm -hmm. He was doing, like, talking to his friends for the night, talking to his family, just living his life, and then probably being like, ugh, gotta go into work. Having absolutely no idea. There's no way you would ever have any idea, but really having no clue what was facing him when he got there. Jimmy gets out of the cab to go into this McDonald's. Um, when the store is closed, so, like, people can still, with McDonald's, like, you still go to, through the drive through but the store itself, the restaurant itself is closed, whatever. He knows that he has to go around to the back of the restaurant and ring the employee doorbell mm-hmm. so that he can be let in. So he hit the doorbell just before Derek opened the door. All three of the men ran towards the door trying to make an escape. Jimmy hadn't seen anything. Mm. But Derek saw Jimmy and yelled, shoot him. Darren, the guy in the Halloween mask, the other 18-year-old, now had the gun. The gun's been passed off to Darren. Darren shot Jimmy once in the forehead, watched his body fall into the doorway, and the three men ran away, leaving the door to hit Jimmy's legs and be propped open. Because his body was in the way. Uh. Thankfully, Daniel McVicker, the cab driver who was responsible for bringing Jimmy to work that night, stuck around. He heard a sound. Jamie and I used to joke and play, I think we talked about this before, play a game called, is it gunshots or fireworks? Yeah. Unfortunately, we have heard both. Yeah. Unfortunately for Daniel... He also played his own version of a game. He heard a pop. He said it sounded like a firecracker. And he wanted to kind of stick around to see what it was. Mm. That's when he looked back and saw three people running from the McDonald's. Yeah. And he trusted his gut and said, something's not right here. Yeah. So he pulled back into the parking lot. And all he could see was Jimmy's feet sticking out of the door. This is when he obviously radioed to his dispatch that he heard a gunshot. He can see a body. Called the RCMP. Didn't stop because he knew that he needed to be able to get out of there because who knew 
if those guys were coming back, who knew what the situation was, was it targeted, was it not, was it whatever the case may be. So he drove around until the RCMP got there. And that's when they discovered the scene. Mm-hmm. Neil, Jimmy, and Donna unfortunately all passed away that night. Mm-hmm. Their last moments were spent in that building. Arlene, the first person to be shot, she was the only one that survived. But she was left with permanent disabilities, both physical and mental. And Arlene was 20 when this incident occurred. She passed away in 2018 at the age of 46, most likely due to complications from the long-term effects of this. I was going to say that as well. Yeah. Because, you know, you can live a long, happy, healthy life. Yeah. But they essentially, I would say, took her life too. They shortened it by like 20, 30 years. She was shot in the face. Yeah. So they ran like the cowards that they are. Yeah. Obviously didn't get far because all they got was $2,000. By the time that Arlene had made it to the hospital, the three men had made it to the getaway car which Freeman was supposed to be driving, but obviously was not. So they had parked it and ran. They left. Uh, Freeman ran into a ditch and tossed the shovel handle that he used to hit Neil uh, over the head with. Jumped in the car. Then Derek realized, like, the absolute... What did you call him before? Doofus? The absolute doofus that he is. That his backpack that had his clothes... And ammunition was left at the scene. Mm. So they thought, oh, we have to go back and get it. Okay. <laughs> so they turned around. As they went to go back, they saw Daniel, the cab driver, circling. Yeah. So they fled again. This fleeing and the speeding of their car caught the attention of someone. So someone reported to the police that there was a suspicious car fleeing the scene. Mm. Thankfully. So while these doofuses, these idiots, these buffoons are trying to come up with an explanation, they know they can't go back and get the backpack. They're Mm. panicking because they know someone saw him leave. They came up with a genius plan. Oh, good. They ran to a convenience store, like probably a Circle K or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because 7-Elevens don't exist in the Maritimes. Yeah. And Derek asked them to use the phone, through which he called the police and reported the shooting from the perspective of an employee who was able to get out and call for help. Okay. (laughs) The dispatcher was like, yeah, no, someone already called. We know. So then Derek's panicking because he's like, somebody got there first. So instead of just calling dispatch, he calls the RCMP directly. He calls the office and tells someone on the phone, like, no, no, I I was out back smoking. I was using my backpack to hold open the door while I was taking, while I was smoking, and then I heard a gunshot, so I ran. Obviously, that didn't work very well. Long story short, 
they tried to throw a bunch of stuff in the creek, mm. thinking that that would get rid of evidence. They got rid of the car that could connect them to the crime. They also stole gift certificates from the safe. Oh. So they stole $2,000 and McDonald's gift cards. Right, like, just that's, stupid. That's just stupid. That's what people for. Right? So Derek gets taken in for questioning. Once the police are like, yeah, okay, well, if you were here, then let's go for it. So constables come to his house. They interview him. And the first thing they notice is a cut on his hand. And how the blood around it was fresh. And they're on to him. Mm. They figure everything out because RCMP are not stupid. And Derek and Freeman were sentenced to life in prison with 25 years before they were eligible for parole. Darren received 20 years before parole. Mm -hmm. The way that the courts have handled the three men so differently is interesting to me. Yeah. So Freeman was granted day parole on December 29th of 2022. Mm -hmm. There was back and forth about it, but it wasn't a huge deal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Derek, the main fucker in this situation... The National Parole Board was like, no, don't care. Not a chance. So, yeah, well, it's because he was refusing to participate in stuff like programs and stuff while he was in prison. And he was at high risk for reoffending. So obviously don't put him on parole. (laughs) So I would like to point out that not just that. So 1992 is when this murder was committed, right? Mm -hmm. While in prison... Derek was convicted of stabbing a fellow inmate in 1998 and then also assaulted two correctional officers in 2007. Mm -hmm. So not only was he refusing to participate in parole board hearings, he also was consistently attacking people in prison. So the parole board pointed out that he had likely also been taking part in things before 1992 yeah he had like minor misdemeanors and stuff um but there was no chance that they were letting him out but freeman but freeman no problem they were like yeah whatever he's back in society he is but what who the thing with the ted with the uh-huh The one that's most interesting to me is Darren. Mm -hmm. So Darren was granted full parole in 2012. Yeah. He, for some reason, I think it's so funny that one of the conditions of his parole is he's not allowed back in Nova Scotia. (laughs) Okay. So he is just hanging out in B.C., he moved to the lower mainland area. He was living in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And then moved to the lower mainland area of BC in 2015. Mm-hmm. He has a common law spouse. And he moved there to take care of her elderly father. Mm. So 
the latest court documents or the latest documents that have been released. So in 2012, November of 2012, he was granted the full parole. Mm-hmm. All of these documents say that he's, quote, financially comfortable and living a good life. Okay. And that makes me exponentially angry. Yeah. Congrats for having a great life after killing people. Like, I'm so glad that you get to go on and live your life when you've ruined the lives of all of these people and the community. Yeah, and their family and their friends. Like, good for you. Congrats, bro. Like, I know life sentences and death sentences and everything about prison sentencing is controversial to say the least there's lots of back and forth on what's ethical whether rehabilitation is possible yada 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 at the end of the day i don't think if you are willing to take the life of another person i don't think you deserve a chance at a better life for yourself it's not like it was self-defense or anything like exactly like it there was no justifiable need for violence yeah. No, there rarely is, but like Jamie said, if it's self-defense, if it's a circumstance like that where you know for sure that it's either you or him, of course you're going to go for it. But like, first of all, it was a robbery. You didn't need to kill anyone. It's not like they turned around and started fighting. They were compliant. They weren't... They didn't understand what was happening. Like... No, like, it makes sense. no fucking sense. I am happy to report, though, that McDonald's has since been demolished. Um. <laughs> yes. So, it was only shut for a week. Which, which is, is crazy. wild. Yeah. So, on May 14th, RCMP officers and psychologists mm-hmm. took the staff on a walkthrough of the restaurant. Which I can't even imagine going back to work I in would a place be like, like that. No thanks. I actually don't want to work here. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. And like I don't know if it's the same other places in Canada. I don't know if it's the same places outside of Canada. But McDonald's is like the place to go in small town New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI. To hang out. To hang out. Yeah. Because there's nowhere else to go. That or Tim Hortons. Yes. So I cannot imagine just walking into that McDonald's and just being able to... Because I guarantee you every single person in that community had a connection to one of those people. There's seven people involved. Every single one of them had a connection, whether it was to one of the murderers or one of the victims. And also imagine being that, that fourth person who was never identified, being like, oh... I avoided Mm -hmm. that, like, Mm -hmm. good thing I didn't go with these psychos, they kill people. The skid mark that would be in your fucking underwear? (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. Yikes. But yeah, Jamie's right. So the building, unfortunately, was around for eight years before they demolished it. Yeah. And they moved the McDonald's, don't worry, they didn't get rid of the McDonald's in Sydney River, they still needed one. But they moved it down the road to a, quote, more accessible location. Right, because that's the reason. Yeah, there was no, no, no other reason. Mm -mm, Crazy. Everything was fine. 
it's it's something like we said when a crime like this happens anywhere it's horrendous but when it happens in a small town and such a close-knit community it really shakes things up yeah and like jamie said realistically 1992 was not that long ago yeah and it's it's hard reading stories like this and thinking about cases like this at this age because jamie and i are sitting here as 24 year olds thinking about this 20 year old this 22 year old this 27 year old and this 29 year old who are all at very similar stages in life as we are right now where that got taken away from them like that's too young to die like there's you have so much potential and so much ahead of you in life and like it just it's baffling to me and i think like i've had goosebumps almost this whole time you were talking because I think for me, it just feels so real. Mm-hmm. Because usually when we're talking about, like, murder or serial killers, like, I can sort of disconnect. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, that's in Philadelphia. I've never been there. I've never been to that state. Couldn't I don't, even picture it if I tried. Yeah, I don't know these people. So I can, like, separate myself from the case and see it more from, like, an analytical perspective exactly but this is like no that's like a couple hours from me like i have family who live near there i've driven through it i've i've probably stopped at that mcdonald's that's there now and not Mm -hmm. realized and just gone into pee and like that's so it just makes it so much more real and scary to me Mm because it's like yeah actually murderers are everywhere yeah like what's that statistic it's like one in every 30 people you walk by is a sociopath something like that i think i've dated a couple of them something scary like that you definitely have (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's just it's a very heavy thing to think about but we still should think about it nonetheless and that's a fantastic point to make i think it can be really scary I don't know, it's, part of the draw of true crime is that some of it is so unreal, it feels like fiction. Yeah. But it's so important to recognize that these are real communities. So having cases like this, where there is such a personal connection to it, and I know for so many of our listeners, that it's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But I want you guys to picture, like the stereotypical small town everybody knows everybody like it's a community and that's all of the maritimes as a whole so whenever anything happens anywhere there it hits it hits hard it's the same thing with i don't know if this is like a universal experience but um when i was in school they would show us like i don't know not often, but every once in a while, they would show us videos of, like, mock-up drunk driving incidents oh, as, like, a max. warning. Or they'd show us, like, school shooter short films, which always kind of left us in a really somber mood, because it's like, we need to know about it. We need to know the reality and how serious it is. And sometimes, yeah, you need to bring attention to it, and sometimes the only way is, like, showing people or telling people it's so easy to disconnect when it feels like a story but when it 
just hearing like, oh, careful of school shooters, you're like, yeah, okay. But when you're hearing from a school shooting survivor, like, different, it's different. Uh, it's a completely different circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This one, this was a heavy one. It's one we've wanted to do for a while now. Yeah. But it's, um, I don't know. It's it's a weird one to think about. Yeah. Just because it hits so close to home. But it's been, it's been a good one to cover. Mm-hmm. If any of you listening are from Cape Breton, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. And hear if you've heard of the case before, if you like to hear more cases of like small towns, small town crimes, I guess. Yeah. That's that's our sombering experience for the day. We started off your episode talking about disturbing movies and we're finishing it off talking about disturbing thoughts. So feels weird to be like somber and also like go follow us on twitter yeah it's uh there's no easy way to transition into uh end credits yeah sorry but we appreciate you guys taking this stuff seriously we appreciate at the end of the day what we want to foster with this show is a respectful true crime community so we're happy to have you guys be a part of that we're happy to be a part of it and we would love to hear your thoughts on more cases you would like to add your perspective to and hear our perspective on. So if you would like to offer some of those suggestions, leave any sort of comments, get in touch, whatever you'd like to do, you can get in touch with us at our email, which is creepsandcoffee at gmail.com. You can send us a message or follow along on our journeys on our Instagram and our Twitter at creepsandcoffee. And if you would like to help support the show, check out some in-depth updates on where we're going next, what our plans are, you can check out our Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com slash creepsandcoffee. Thank you, as always, for being the best listeners in the world. We love you. Yeah. And... Stay safe. Yeah, stay vigilant. Because... No matter how messed up spooky things are, there's nothing spookier than our fellow humans. Creeps and Coffee is produced and edited by us, Kate and Jane. Our theme music is Stuck in a Hole by Dated. For more information on where to find them, check out the link in our show notes. And to connect with us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Creeps and Coffee.